I personally believe uh, that light is the best disinfectant, that we have to acknowledge and tell the truth about our history, and then we can begin to repair it. If a family member has wronged you, done something gravely uh, terrible to you that has hurt you, you can't be okay with that family member just because that family member says, you know, I did that to you a long time ago, but that family member never apologized for what they've done and they never tried to repair what they've done. It is impossible to have reconciliation without acknowledgement and atonement. Once that family member says, I was wrong and let me try to make it right, then the healing can begin. So what uh, African descended people are expected to do is to move on without that acknowledgement, without that atonement. And even as we suffer across the globe from being the bottom of every indicator of well-being because of the legacy of slavery, uh, only those who have uh, power are on the, on the side of saying that we have to ignore this history in order to heal. We can't heal by ignoring what happened. Nicole Hannah-Jones is the Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative journalist, writer, and creator of the popular, compelling, and for some people, controversial 1619 Project, a project she did in collaboration with the New York Times. I'm Ben Dutse Malo, and for this latest edition of our Lead Is On podcast from UN News, I had the opportunity to sit down with Nicole here at UN headquarters in New York to talk about her groundbreaking work for racial justice. The 1619 Project is a series of brilliantly crafted essays on race seeking to throw more light on the legacy of slavery in the United States of America, especially the systemic and endemic racism that has been supported for centuries by laws, by acts, by other so-called legal means. The project also stresses the fact that enslaved Africans have been in the United States of America since the year 1619 and then formed the bedrock of the economic success of the United States long before America's official birthday of July 4th, 1776. Nicole Hannah-Jones has just spoken in the United Nations General Assembly during an event marking the International Day of Remembrance of the Victims of Slavery and the Transatlantic Slave Trade here at UN Headquarters in New York. Right after she spoke, we invited her into our UN studios and I began our conversation by asking Nicole to give us the main purpose or the main objective behind the 1619 Project. It's a pleasure to have you here. We know you've just been speaking in the UN General Assembly. I've got your book. I'm still going through it. I think it's a very important book. For anyone who hasn't heard of the book and they are thinking, why is it important for me to get this book or even get it as a gift for somebody? How would you summarize the purpose of it? Sure, thank you uh, so much for speaking with me. The 1619 Project is a book that commemorates uh, the 400th anniversary of the first ship that brought the first Africans to the British colony of Virginia. So we mark that really as the beginning of American slavery in the original 13 colonies that would form the United States. 
And what the project does through a series of essays is um, tries to center slavery as a foundational American institution and to place the contributions of black Americans really at the center of the American story. But more than that, to also show the way that um, the 300, or excuse me, 250 year legacy of slavery in the United States still shapes so much of our society today. And um, so it's not just about the past, but it's about um, what has happened right now. And why I think it is important is not just in the United States, but really in the world, we have treated slavery as really marginal uh, to the story of the United States um, in many ways, the story uh, to the, the history of um, our colonial powers and to the history of the Atlantic world. But slavery um, is critical. You cannot understand the United States you cannot understand the Atlantic world, you cannot understand what has happened on the continent of Africa, and you certainly can't understand uh, the great wealth of uh, the Western colonial powers if you don't understand slavery and its legacy. So when people criticize any talk of slavery and the lingering effects of slavery, and they said, look, slavery ended many years ago, and some of our white brothers and sisters would say, I didn't participate in slavery. Why should you still be telling me about slavery? What would you tell them? Well, I have lots of answers to that. Um, the first thing I will say is that uh, it is illogical to believe that a system uh, that lasted for 400 years, that reshaped uh, the complexion of the world, um, that enriched uh, the European colonial powers uh, that laid the foundation for the economic prosperity of the United States, that that system somehow does not shape the society that we live in any longer. Uh, for instance, in the United States, we've had slavery longer than we had freedom. Um, we have only been a country without slavery for a shorter period than we had slavery. And of course, when slavery ended in all of these countries, we didn't purge the racism that undergirded slavery. So if we look at any of these societies, uh, black people, African descended people, remain at the bottom of all indicators of well-being in all of the former slave societies. So I would argue that clearly uh, the legacy of slavery is still shaping uh, our world. And if people read the 1619 Project, they will see that every single essay is not about something that happened a long time ago. It's about the way what happened a long time ago still shapes and corrupts so much of, of society today. As for people who say they never engaged in slavery, um, this is how I see it. You didn't, none of us were alive, for instance, in the United States when the Declaration of Independence was written. We weren't alive when the Constitution was written. And yet, we understand that that is our legacy. And you cannot only claim the parts of your history that you think makes you look good or that you think are uplifting. You have to claim all of that history. So no, um, none of us here signed the Constitution, but we believe that Constitution has power, that it shapes our society, and that is also true of slavery. We own all of our history, not just the parts uh, that we find to be positive. And talking about criticism of your work and the project, I see that people uh, on the right wing of the spectrum have been quite virulent in the pushback. How surprised were you by the pushback against you in political circles and in other circles? How surprising was that to you? 
I'm not surprised, I have not been surprised that there would be criticism and pushback of the project. Uh, this was a project and you know your global audience will know that the United States in particular has been in a great denial about the institution of slavery and its legacy. We are a nation founded on ideals of, of God-given liberty. We believe we are the freest, uh, most exceptional nation in the world. And slavery and its legacy gives lie to that, right? Slavery is a glaring hypocrisy um, in a nation that wants to believe that it is the pinnacle of freedom for the world. Um, so to make the arguments that the project argues that slavery is foundational, that slavery has shaped our economy, our political systems, our culture, um, was always going to meet resistance in the United States. So that part does not surprise me. But I, I would be lying if I didn't say the way the project has been weaponized and politicized uh, three years after its initial publication has been actually quite astounding. And what that tells you is that uh, history in many ways is about power. It is about who gets to shape our collective understanding, who gets to shape our collective memory, and uh, that power does not want us to understand a history that delegitimizes that power. And that's what the 1619 does. It uh, takes the people who have been treated as marginal. It takes, um, you know, the global crime against humanity that was slavery and says that that was just as important uh, to the United States and to the Atlantic world as these ideas of liberty. And that is something that's very, very scary uh, for certain powerful people. I bought the book. Uh, I'm reading through it. One thing I realize is the narrative. The normal language says slaves were kept on plantations. You have the house slaves and the field slaves. Uh, and the word even slave, I realize in your essays and in the book, you are canceling some words, if I could you know, use that phrase. Yeah. Why is it important to use certain terminologies instead of what is currently there? Thank you for pointing that out. Um, when I created the project, I actually came up with a glossary of terms to make sure that we would all be using uh, uniform language in describing the institution of slavery, the human beings who were enslaved, um, as well as, uh, as you say, plantation, we use terms like slave labor camps and forced labor camps. And the reason that matters, uh, as storytellers, we know that language is powerful. Language can either obscure or it can reveal. And we have used language to obscure the atrocity of slavery. Uh, for instance, in the United States, um, we call these forced labor or slave labor camps plantations, and we have this imagery of uh, this quaint Southern lifestyle of, of uh, women wearing elegant gowns. But what is behind those beautiful houses uh, is a system of violently enforced forced labor that is undergirded by torture of human beings being forced to work sometimes to death, of children being sold away from their families, of loved ones being sold away. And so if you think about um, the concentration camps in Europe, you would never see a wedding at a concentration camp. You would never see a, a garden party or advertisements about uh, come take a tour of our old way of living. 
uh, because we use the proper language. So when we call them plantations and not slave labor camps, it allows us to deny the history of what happened here. When we use a word like slave, slavery was a condition. It was not who these people were. So we don't want to further dehumanize people for whom the systems of slavery tried to dehumanize. Um, a slave owner, we say enslaver. We want to make this an active term. This was someone's occupation. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. We call them planters, but they did not plant. Their occupation was to own human beings and force human beings to plant. So to me, uh, part of, uh, in telling the truth about this history is to use the appropriate language, the language that does not obscure, but that reveals. What if somebody says, there is this sore or scar on the conscience of America. You are exposing the wound instead of sealing it and healing it. What would you say to that? Well, clearly, uh, the wound is still festering, whether we want to take the bandage off and figure out why or not. Um, just two years ago, we had the largest protest for black lives in the history of the world because a black man was killed by a white police officer, George, um, Floyd. George Floyd, right, um, who, who compressed the oxygen out of this man for eight minutes. So the wound is there. Those who say that if we talk about this, we make it worse are clearly not the people who are living and suffering under the conditions of this history. Um, I personally believe uh, that light is the best disinfectant, that we have to acknowledge and tell the truth about our history, and then we can begin to repair it. And let me just say um, in an individual way, if a family member has wronged you, done something gravely uh, terrible to you that has hurt you, you can't be okay with that family member just because that family member says, you know, I did that to you a long time ago, but that family member never apologized for what they've done and they never tried to repair what they've done. It is impossible to have reconciliation without acknowledgement and atonement. Once that family member says, I was wrong and let me try to make it right, then the healing can begin. So what uh, African descended people are expected to do is to move on without that acknowledgement, without that atonement. And even as we suffer um, across the globe, um, from being the bottom of every indicator of well-being because of the legacy of slavery. Uh, only those who have uh, power are on the, on the side of saying that we have to ignore this history in order to heal. We can't heal by ignoring what happened. I am from Ghana. Sadly, it's one place where many slaves or enslaved people were captured from, abducted, kidnapped, and just sold. There is no better way to describe it. I've heard stories in my family, people going to the farm, and on the way back from the farm, they never made it home. What would you like continental Africans who never experienced the horrors of the enslavement of the African in the New World? This morning, it was sub-zero temperatures when I was coming to UN headquarters. And sometimes on the streets of New York, I have this empathetic sense that woman captured from tropical Africa and brought to New York. How did she cope? I'm wearing five layers yeah. and I'm feeling the pinch. What would you like your Ghanaian brothers and sisters, Nigerians, Senegalese, Africans to know about what you have discovered in the 1619 project? Hmm. 
That's such a uh, profound and complicated question because uh, one, we know that our lost, you know, we are the lost brothers and sisters on this side of the Atlantic, but that there also needs to be atonement and repair from the continent. That we know that uh, African peoples, particularly in uh, Western and Central Africa, also engaged in the slave trade. Um, there is certainly a different level of culpability um, that is entirely distinct from the European colonial powers, but there is a hurt there. Uh, there is also a need, I think, for reconciliation for those of us whose ancestors were sold away. Uh, we are part of the same families, but we have been torn apart. Um, so I, I, I think that acknowledgement of what happened is also necessary on the continent to move towards reconciliation. But then I also hope that um, those on the continent understand that we are the same people, that um, even though slavery attempted to erase our Africanness, it was impossible. Uh, when I went to Ghana uh, more than a decade ago, I saw people who looked like my grandmother, uh, my great aunts. Uh, the dances were familiar. There were dances that I've seen in my own community. Of course, the drum, the music, even the love of gold, big earrings, uh, the bright colors. So we see these connections that haven't been bridged. And um, I hope that we can uh, also work on that uh, repair as well. There is a video of one of the kings in Elmina making atonement to a group of diasporan brothers and sisters saying we apologize. How much more do we need to see such things? Should Ghana have free visas for the descendants of enslaved people? What more should people on the continent, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Ghana, Nigeria, Congo or Cameroon, where enslaved people were taken away from, what more could we be doing in addition to offering clear, authentic apologies? One, I think apology goes a long way. I think for so many people, um, when you've been hurt, you just want an acknowledgement of that hurt. And it's not even necessarily, you know, nothing can be done to change the history. But what we can do is acknowledge what happened and then try to build relationships together. So yes, I think, particularly for black Americans, because we are a small minority in a white country. And um, there's a children's book that comes with, that I wrote at the same time as the 1619 Project. And it talks about how black Americans in particular feel like we have no native land to claim. Um, if you come from Haiti, you can claim your Haitian flag. If you come from Jamaica, you can claim your Jamaican flag. Because these are black countries run by black people. But we don't have that. So for us in particular, I think having a real connection uh, to a nation in Africa um, would mean so much to us. I know that there are, um, there are expats from the United States who have communities in Ghana. I know that relationship particularly because Ghana is English speaking, uh, because one of our greatest um, historians, W.E.B. Du Bois, is buried there. I, I went to his, his gravesite. That there is a natural connection that I would like to see more formalized. I think black Americans would love to be able to have citizenship on the continent. When I went, uh, it was transformative. It was, of course, deeply sad to go to Elmina and Cape Coast and see the door of no return. Uh, but it also felt so powerful to walk back through that return. And I remember my husband told me uh, it felt like 
uh, our ancestors were waiting for us to be able to come back. Uh, so I think that that reconciliation um, can be so powerful for all of us. I just want to move quickly to two key things you said in the UN General Assembly. Reparations and also highlighting the resistance. Yes. Why are these two pillars critical in moving forward in a constructive way from the legacy of slavery? Yes, thank you so much for asking that. Um, I, I'm so uh, grateful that the United Nations is focusing this year on resistance because the way that we are commonly taught this history is that somehow uh, black people, African people submitted to their enslavement. And by uh, putting forth that narrative, it is used as a justification for slavery. It also, um, to me, takes away our humanity because it is not natural uh, to not fight against slavery. And it centers, even in the story of abolition, it centers white people in a way uh, that robs us of our agency. It is not that one day Britain, which was uh, the greatest slave trading nation in the world, one day simply decided, we don't want to do this anymore because it's wrong. It is the mutinies and the revolts of enslaved people that made it untenable for the British Empire to continue uh, importing Africans um, into its colonies. And then when it decides that it can't do it anymore, it also, it clearly doesn't want other countries to do it because of the competitive advantage. That is how we get to the bans on the international slave trade. The calculation changes because of the constant resistance of enslaved people. And also the resistance when enslaved people were refusing to work. When, as, as W.E.B. Du Bois said, when they would go on their general strike, when they were destroying tools, it became untenable. So black people who are resisting are pushing um, the European powers towards abolition. And certainly that happens uh, in the United States as well. So it is just critical for us to have our agency, but also to tell this history truthfully. Of course, we think of the United States as a magnet for oppressed people in other places who come to the United States. What we don't talk about is how black people in this country were denied democracy, were denied rights, uh, the same rights that uh, white Europeans could immediately get when they come to the United States were denied to people of African descent here. And um, so there was another migration, not just of immigrants coming to the U.S., but of black people in the South. Six million, the largest migration in the history of the United States, leave the South, often under the cover of darkness because they were uh, forced to labor down there. And uh, the white people who were exploiting their labor did not want them to leave the South. And they decided that they were too going to be refugees in their own land and pick up and move to the North searching for a better life and better opportunity. I feel if more people across the globe understood the story of the Great Migration, where again, six million people, black people leave the South looking for freedom in their own land, they would see themselves, their own immigrant story, in the story of black Americans, as opposed to uh, wanting to say, why are you not doing better in this country of great bounty? Why are not, you not using your opportunity? That black people have been the ones in the United States um, who have always resisted, who have fought for democracy, who are the reason why so many black and, black and brown people can migrate to the United States today. So that to me was really important. Um, and your last question was about reparations. 
I don't think we can have conversations about one of the greatest um, crimes against humanity and not talk about repair. And I noticed that the spokesperson for um, the Western European countries seemed to rather want to talk about modern day slavery, which of course is a great scourge and that all of us should be fighting. But it seemed like uh, a place like Belgium with its history of atrocities of colonialism, with its engagement, um, some of the gravest uh, human rights atrocities that um, are known to mankind, humankind, as well as uh, the Western Europeans uh, who built economies on the backs of enslaved Africans. It is easier to talk about slavery elsewhere than to deal with that original crime. We must have reparations. Uh, and I believe in financial reparations across the Atlantic world. Uh, and there's a separate uh, conversation about reparations for colonialism as well. But black people in America, for instance, have one-tenth of the wealth of white Americans. A black person with a child has one one-hundredth of the wealth of white Americans. United States is both. Despite all the hard work they put in. Exactly. And it is not because somehow black Americans are lazy, don't want an education, don't want quality housing, don't want uh, to work. We know that that is not true. In fact, I, I don't understand how the people who were forced to labor for other people can be considered lazy. Um, but financial repair for the legacy of slavery is absolutely nece necessary. We can look at Haiti, a place that was forced to pay reparations to white enslavers because they liberated themselves. Uh, we can look at, in the United States, the only group of people who ever received reparations for slavery were white enslavers in Washington, D.C. Um, the ramifications and the remnants of slavery can be seen in the forced wealth poverty of black people all across the Atlantic world um, and black nations all across the Atlantic world. And I don't think we can be talking about atonement if we are not talking about repair. I could talk to you for hours <laughs> because reparations, I have some thoughts, sure. but we have to draw this to a close. In closing, you are here at the United Nations. Yeah. What would you like to see the United Nations doing in support of the noble objectives that your project, the 1619 project, is bringing to people? What should the UN do? Well, one, I, I do have to commend the UN as a body because uh, the UN puts out reports on racism in the United States and is willing to challenge um, uh, the United States' hypocrisy in ways that you don't often see. Um, I'm here today because the United Nations is acknowledging uh, the atrocity of the transatlantic slave trade. So I think that that is critical. Um, but there certainly has to be more forceful work on the issue of reparations, um, the issue even of representation in, in the body of the General Assembly. We can look at many of the, um, the nations in the Atlantic world that were former um, slaveholding nations, and we do not see the African diaspora reflected in who gets to be in spaces like this. So I think there is much to do, but I do also believe that the UN has led in some very important areas. My last word is, it has been a surreal experience to be here and to be able to address the General Assembly of the United Nations. Uh, I told the story of my grandmother, who had a fourth grade education, who was born on a cotton plantation, who worked as a janitor, 
until she retired. And she could not have ever imagined uh, that all of her sacrifice would allow me to speak on behalf of our people and our ancestors in this way. So I'm just leaving today feeling very grateful and very honored. And I feel the presence of our, our ancestors around us. Nicole Hannah Jones, as a Ghanaian brother, long lost across the Atl Atlantic. There is a phrase I stick to. You are the dream of the ancestors. You were able to return to a place they could only dream of. It's a pleasure to meet you. This is to be continued. More strength, more grace, more power to you. Thank you. That was investigative journalist, and you would say civil rights activist and educator, Pulitzer Prize winning Nicole Hannah-Jones, speaking with me, Ben Dutse Malo, in our studios here at UN headquarters. Soon after, she gave a moving and memorable speech in the UN General Assembly during an event to mark the International Day of Remembrance of the victims of slavery and the victims of the transatlantic slave trade. This is The Ladies On from UN News in New York. We thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.